You're listening to Out Here, a podcast about building a life, a community, and relationships at the end of the road in Alaska. I'm Erin McKinstry. On episode three, Living It, living a life outside the box, away from expectations about what your career, your house, or your life should look like. This episode is all about the lifestyle and why people choose it, even though it can be pretty freaking difficult. Little boxes on the hillside, little boxes made of ticky-tacky, little boxes, little boxes, little boxes, all the same. There's a green one and a pink one. I had always had a sense that there was a problem with the direction that humanity was taking in general as far as just the, the blind adoption of technologies and the ease with which life can be lived how mindless life can become it just wasn't very satisfying to me just sort of keeping up with the modern world and being a part of it didn't make sense to me and the way you live out here or can live out here made a lot more sense to me you know why not appreciate the fact that water doesn't just come out of a spigot you have to work to get it or to heat your place you don't just pay a bill to some company you go out and cut down wood and then you chop it and then you burn it in your wood stove um, all of those things felt like a far more rewarding way to live life and they all get put in boxes and they all come out the same everyone has their own way of living out here some people have indoor plumbing some don't some run refrigerators and blenders off their generators and others use only hand tools or live off of canned spam. People living here may be Republicans, Libertarians, environmentalists, gun nuts, intellectuals, anti-intellectuals, atheists, devout Christians. The list could go on and on. But there is something that binds them, something that stands in the face of the houses made out of ticky-tacky and the clock punching, and the first comes love, then comes marriage, then comes baby in a baby carriage. The lifestyle is unconventional and sort of rebellious. Sometimes it's a dream and other times it's more like a nightmare. On part one of Living It, the story of how one young couple fared their first winter out here. Because not everybody makes it through. They can be quiet, things like to break, and the darkness and the cold are nothing to scoff at. On part two, we'll answer the question that resident Greg Fensterman says he gets from summer tourists all the time. What do you do out here all winter? Because they can't imagine that there's anything to do besides uh, sit in front of the fire. Finally, we'll delve into surviving in a place with only a seasonal economy. And we'll answer the question that's perhaps most intriguing. Why the hell live life this way if it's so much more difficult? Well, I guess it depends on how you define difficult. You know, some of my family's like, you're crazy. What are you doing? living all the way out there and I'm like you're crazy what are you doing living in scary society you're listening to out here and I'm Erin McKinstry part one surviving the winter Allie Towers and Scott Anthony first came to McCarthy in the summertime like most people Allie came to visit her mom, who worked for the National Park Service. She knew when she first showed up that she'd found a pretty special place. 
having to walk across the footbridge. It's kind of like all of a sudden you're walking through the gate into Narnia, kind of like the wardrobe is the the footbridge for me. And you're stripping yourself of this ego and you're kind of like vulnerable in a way. She got a job and stayed this summer and kept coming back. A few years later, Scott's friend got him a job here. Driving from Anchorage to McCarthy is what really, really got me. It's just so big. You can look forever and never see another house or a city and just mountains and trees as far as you can see. It's great. And then I woke up the next morning and I remember sitting on the porch and I was like, I want to buy land here, guaranteed. Allie and Scott met that summer, fell in love, and had plans to head to Hawaii come September. They lived a seasonal lifestyle, one where weather and money dictate migratory patterns. It's a world I didn't even know existed when I was growing up around images of doctors and lawyers and business executives. And it's a lifestyle that fits right in, in McCarthy. People are constantly moving in and out of the valley, following jobs, adventure, and opportunities. But something about the way people live life out here made Allie and Scott pause. Maybe, at least for a minute, they didn't want to migrate anywhere. They wanted to stay right here. So when a couple needed a caretaker for their cabin for the winter, they said yes. But I remember I was writing in my journal about it, like trying to sort through my thoughts on it. I was like, is this the right decision? Should I do this? And just then a bird flew into my room and twirled around three times and flew out. And I was like, oh, yeah, we're we're staying. (laughs) Thank you, universe. Then it went from taking all of our money that we had saved up to, you know, we were planning on going to Hawaii and turn around and spend it all and cold weather gear, a chainsaw, a generator, a snow machine, all the all the things that we needed to survive. Lots of beer. 48 <laughs> cases from the bar or from the grocery store. The town was livid. Uh, 44. It was 44 cases. Okay, so I love this place, and I fully acknowledge that I chose it, but I also don't want to romanticize it. Living out here can be really fucking hard. There's no way around it. I get depressed when it's dark a lot. It's totally unglamorous to not take a proper shower for months. And I've had mornings where I scream into the woods because it's too cold and the generator won't start and I forgot to bring it inside the night before or because the fire died after I spent 20 minutes splitting wood and getting it going and then got distracted just long enough for it to burn out, or because my hands hurt from wringing out a whole load of laundry, or because somehow it takes an hour to do something that should have taken 20 minutes or 10, or because I forgot all the eggs that were supposed to last me three months in Anchorage at a friend's house. Allie and Scott can relate. We came back. And we forgot hot sauce, and that was so sad. It was so sad. (laughs) Uh, Their first winter here, Allie and Scott lived on the other side of a lake from the road. In the summer, you take a canoe across. In the winter, the lake freezes over, and you travel across by snow machine or foot. But in those in-between times, things can get a little tricky. 
There's a bushy trail that goes all the way around the lake, but it takes a while, and patience is not an easy lesson to learn. One time, so this was actually the night the lake froze, Caleb Roland actually was coming in, and he was going to drop off some whiskey on the other side of the lake. We ran out. You know, we didn't have any. Hadn't had some for a while. And... We were waiting for him, but he didn't end up showing up until, like, early, early morning or something. And so we're like, okay, let's go. And we take the canoe out, and the lake is frozen. It's pretty – it's on the verge of freezing. I had this machete, and you can hack through the lake and so create a little path. And so Scott was in the back paddling us, and I was in the front with a machete just hacking away. Allie's machete was nothing to joke at. It wasn't a little one. It was like an extra long one. And she's like leaning over the front of the canoe with both hands, just bashing this thing. Like we get to the other side and her hands are so cold because they're covered in water and just like, just like her gloves are so wet. And like we got over there and we were so happy. And then getting back was no easy task either because all the ice started to fill back in from the channel that we had created. It probably would have been faster just to walk around, but we had our mindset on that. There was also eggs and cheese. You know, it wasn't just whiskey. We probably would have done it just for whiskey, too. (laughs) Anyways, I can only imagine, like, if somebody had been driving by and seen that, like, what are those two crazy people doing? (laughs) Those are the kinds of moments that living in McCarthy gifts you. They're absurd, and they require a certain sense of humor. Thever's winter taught them a lot about living in the woods, like how to shop for food. Some people live off the land here, at least in part, but most get the bulk of their food from a run to Costco every couple months. That's a 614-mile round trip. You do your Costco run, and I don't know, after your first few times, you kind of realize, like, oh, I bought all of this stuff, and we didn't eat a single bite of it. You know, we've literally been living off cheese and tortillas, even though we have this plethora of other food. That's one of the harder things, is knowing what you need and what you don't. Because if you don't need it, then it just sits. And you have to dispose of it somehow, and there's no convenient trash man to just float it away to wherever all the trash goes, you know, in the dump, and you gotta, you gotta handle your stuff. And then there's the physical demands, like carrying the generator and five-gallon buckets of water collected from a nearby stream up a set of stairs and into the house. They both learned how to use a chainsaw to get firewood, and they learned all the little things. Don't leave water in a glass cup if you're leaving the house for a day and it freezes, because it'll just, the bottom will come right out. (laughs) For Scott, this way of life had always been a dream. It's nice living out here. Mostly it's because I'm kind of cheap and I don't want to pay for utilities, so. I mean, you still do. You pay for gas for the snow machine, you know, to and the four-wheeler to go get water and go cut down your wood and your chainsaw maintenance and this and that, but I'd rather spend those monies than just give them to somebody else and have no control over, I don't know, over my life. If you want to live out here, you can, but you have to live. You can't just sit in your house and have people deliver you pizza <laughs> and just do what you have to to live. You can't just ignore it and just let life go by. Growing up, I wasn't like, yeah, I'm going to live in the middle of the woods. Um, But it just sort of happened. I didn't even realize how much I would enjoy it, too. Just 
being able to see your carbon footprint basically and just like how much how much trash do i accumulate how much water do i need and it's amazing how much you don't need to you know and the more time that i spend out here the bigger of a difference i see between mainstream society and living in the middle of the woods especially with the mindless consumerism just there's ads everywhere and people you know they want the next best thing and there's so much stuff to spend your money on and it's just these useless shiny objects my priorities have shifted greatly because I used to live out there and want the, those same things like the next best iPhone or whatever it may be but it's just nice how simple it is out here. They made it through their first winter. They passed the test of broken down vehicles and learning how to get creative when problems arise. After that, they left for brief stints of travel for family emergency to make a little money here and there. But every time, they came back. Finally, they bought their own piece of property with a group of friends on the other side of the lake this time, the side where the road is. They decided that despite all of its challenges, Life at the end of the road, away from all the ease and complexity of modern life, was worth it. Part 2. What do you do all the time? Unless you work remotely or are brave enough to do construction at sub-zero temperatures, there's not usually a lot of work here in the wintertime. So my first winter here, I thought a lot about how I would fill the empty space. And I also thought a lot about how I'd be really cold and miserable all the time. Like, I worried about this. Just the act of going to the bathroom is going out to the outhouse. You got to put on your clothes to go to the outhouse. When it's 25 below zero, you don't just go jumping out there in your skivvies, you know what I mean? But most of those worries ended up being unfounded, actually. The cold wasn't really that bad, and my days felt too full rather than empty. I learned how to do things that I'd always wanted to that winter, like sewing and knitting. Um, and I read a lot of books and just spent a lot of time living. Here's Malcolm Vance again. Even if it is just go outside and chop wood at 30 and 40 below zero, just that alone is an adventure. Just daily living becomes an adventure enough, which gives yourself a sense of accomplishment. On part two of Living It, 30-plus year resident Mark Vale walks us through what a typical winter day looks like for him. You'll see. It's way too easy to fill all that empty space. On a Typical day in the middle of winter, a couple things happen. So your, your circadian rhythm changes because of the daylight. When there's only five hours of daylight, your frame of reference shifts if you don't live by a clock. So I usually rise with the sun. First thing you do is stoke the fire, you know, get the fire going, do your morning ablutions feed the birds. It's like as soon as I walk out the door, 
in the morning, I'm surrounded by a flock of grosbeaks. Like, hey, hey, you got any seeds? I like to have a couple leisure cups of coffee. And with the advent of access to the internet now, I go on the internet in the morning, check my emails, see what the news of the day is. Radio's on. Typically, I live with the radio on all the time. Watch the sun come up. And so the little pleasures are things like that. And, and it's also psychologically healthy if you're affected by like sad seasonal affected disorder to see the sunrise and see the sunset every day because even though you may not consciously be able to acknowledge the amount of daylight from day to day your mind or your body can and it just automatically knows that the daylight's returning and it makes you feel better because it can record that. And, and birds are the same way. It's like they're singing to the sun that's coming back in day length every day. They note it. They can tell. And it makes them happy. So they do their little, like, spring song. Like, ooh, you know. And, and so you get to see these small little changes in all of the life that lives here. Then the chores, chopping firewood, cutting down trees, hauling water, fixing things that are broken. If it gets, you know, up to 10 below, then I'm going to go cut firewood. (laughs) So that I'm not losing ground because a cold wave might actually happen from Siberia or from the high north up in the Arctic and drop down here and it'd be 40 below. Well, when it's 40 below, you go through twice as much wood as it is when it's 20 below. Okay, 40 below isn't something everyone's experienced. So I asked Mark, what does it feel like? Crispy. (laughs) The snow squeaks when you step on it. Um, It's a great time to split firewood because firewood just pops apart when you whack it with something when it's that cold. Um, there's a crystalline feel to everything, (laughs) you know, even the air. It's like it's dense and heavy and you can hear forever. It's like I can hear planes take off in McCarthy. That's nine miles away and hear them. Somebody's flying, you know, the intensity of the quiet. It's like I remember thinking one time, it's like my radio inside my house is the loudest thing in the landscape for 100 square miles. And then there's basic things like exercise, because you can't just head to the gym and walk on a treadmill here. So Mark has to maintain trails for skiing and fat tire biking and access to the road in general. Mark also makes things. He makes furniture, all kinds of woodworking, and he makes tapestries. They're these really beautiful depictions of the local landscape. He makes the yarn for them himself. And then there's just daily living. Making dinner, cleaning, doing the dishes, which is a special thing in itself here. So wood and water, those are the two key elements of life if you have a a heatable space. And then all the other time is uh, either recreational or creational. You can, you know use your 
time to make stuff. One of them will start. Batteries are frozen and the doors won't even open. So I'm praying and I'm hoping that my chainsaw isn't broken. Cause I need to saw some firewood to warm my cabin up. Can thaw my generator out so I can drive my truck. I'm going crazy in my cabin. Stir crazy. I'm completely frozen in since I don't remember when. Going crazy in my cabin once again. Part three. Earning a living. When I was growing up, I was always worried about what I was going to do with my life and not who I was going to be or where I was going to live or what kind of lifestyle I would lead. I didn't realize until later that what you do to make money doesn't have to define you. That making things doesn't always have to have economic value. And that success can be defined through happiness or conscientiousness rather than through salaries or professional achievements. Some people who live out here are lucky. Their careers and this lifestyle align. But for many, they live here because they were always seeking something different. They always believed that what you do doesn't define you and that we have a lot more freedom about how we go about walking down life's path than most of us really think. On part three of Living It, we'll hear from several residents who are, well, living it. Living life out here, off the grid, many without basic amenities, or a year-round profession. I've never had a moment where I regretted the decision to come here. I've had scary moments. There's been a bear that visited the cabin once. When it's 30 below, you definitely question your sanity a little bit. Um, those experiences, those struggles, just amount more to living a full life, in my opinion. They're real struggles. They're not the trivial struggles that you deal with in the modern world or that a lot of people focus on in the modern world. You know, like shopping and having the right duvet cover. I fully acknowledge um, that plenty of people in the U.S. don't have the option to care about the right duvet cover or not. It's a privilege to be able to make the choice to live without and run away to the woods. But it is one alternative way of living, and I think that's worth highlighting. Carla has one foot in the modern world still. Before she found McCarthy, her life was her work. She worked as a television producer, and that work took her all over the world. She still works as a television producer, surprisingly, um, but now she works remotely from McCarthy and occasionally travels to film. That's how she makes her money. Others have found a need in the community and met it with their skill set. Some work hard in the summer, and that keeps them through the winter. And some just live really frugally, like local pilot, Gary Green. If you want to make a living in a place where there's very little economy, you got to live economically. Um, living in a log cabin without electricity or oil heat. I mean, if, if you haul your water out of the, the creek in buckets, if you burn wood for heat, run a kerosene lamp, or nowadays we got little LED flashlights, um, all that doesn't cost very much. And if you buy food in bulk and food that doesn't spoil, uh, it's pretty easy to get by in that manner. I came out prospecting for gold, and I made enough to get by on. Um, and then I worked for hunting guides during the, the hunting season. 
and that paid enough to get you through the winter. After I was out here for a few years, I got involved in commercial fishing. So I'd be gone for three weeks or a month or so in the in the summers. So if you live cheap and work at whatever jobs you can get, um, if you have a cabin out in the woods, you're going to get by. For some, living without is part of the challenge. Here's Mark Vale again. And I've never been into making money. That was one of the things I wanted to come to the north and move to the wilderness to test myself against the economy. How close to the bone could I live without having to make money? It's hard to escape, especially this far remote or north, to live without any money. I mean, your lifespan would be shortened by, by your lifestyle if you lived totally without money because you'd have to handsaw everything. You couldn't use gasoline because it takes money to buy gasoline. You know, so there's trade-offs, you know, and it's the, the only technology I came with was a radio. Now I've got rechargeable batteries and solar power since 1990. You know, and I lived for the first 20 years on, on an average of under $3,000 a year. When he was younger, he made his tapestries and went away to work as a fisherman or cook in the summer when he needed it. But otherwise, he wasn't beholden to anyone, and that appealed to him. And I realized that life wasn't necessarily on that predictable schedule that mainstream America lives on, where you work eight hours a day, day in, day out, and you get your two weeks off every summer for your vacation. And so... Over the course of 10 years, I always sought out jobs that were like that, where you could accrue money and then have major blocks of time off. For many years, I just worked three or four months a year, but it was you know steady. But that three months would pay all my bills for the year. And then I could garden and fish and bike and hike and hunt and do all the other things that life entails and not be, you know, um, trapped in this round-the-clock, you know, scheduled living. John Adams owns a seasonal bed and breakfast in town. He's worked as a contractor over the years, but he's generally avoided the punch-in, punch-out, nine-to-five lifestyle. And as a little kid, when... I, my dad was around the other guys he worked with. I can only remember them talking about one thing, retirement. If the best you can thing you can say about your job is your retirement, you're going it being over, you've wasted your whole life. He says the drawback is that when it comes time to retire and you've lived this way your whole life, sometimes you can't. He's 70, and he and his wife don't have any plans yet. So then, why do it? What is it that is so attractive about living this lifestyle? Obviously, the answer is different for everybody, but for lots of people, it boils down to the privilege of being able to live on very little and still build a life for yourself. Here's Greg Runyon, our favorite mountaineer. I'd rather drive my snow machine or my four-wheeler and have it be bumpy, muddy, buggy, berry, snowy, cold, versus sit in another red light. In traffic. I feel like I'm wasting my life. Um, so yeah, it's deliberate. It, and we know it's a luxury. It sounds weird, but to me, it's a luxury to live like this. Um, 
But I really do feel like it's a total luxury and we're really lucky and blessed to be able to do it. We're healthy, we're young, we can handle this lifestyle. Um, and yeah, I, I, it's not for everyone and I wish more people could get a chance to experience it once in a while. I think it'd be good for them to take a step back. By luxury, he means. Like if you look at the front window of our house here, I mean, that's the Ringo St. Elias National Park. There's nothing, it's all wilderness. I mean, we have this unbelievable opportunity here. The few of us who are living out here right now that, you know, even if you want it, you can't have it in most places. Even if you have a lot of money, you can't have it. Um, but here we do. And at least for me, I recognize that opportunity when I first started hanging out out here and recognize that in my lifetime, this is like my opportunity to live this type of lifestyle. And who knows? We might sell our place here in 20 years and buy a condo in, I don't know, where, Palm Springs. I don't know, something like that. And you become golfers. I don't know. It might be fun. <laughs> People seem to love it. winter long when anybody else would go away somewhere that's warm well you can suit yourself in if you feel like stopping by having quite a party here me myself and i were going crazy in my cabin stir crazy i'm completely frozen in since i don't remember when going crazy in my cabin once again i'm going crazy Thanks for listening to Living It, episode three of Out Here, a podcast about life at the end of the road in Alaska. And thanks to Martin Robert Edelman Morrison for that beautiful song. Intrigued? Want to know more about living life in McCarthy? Head to www.outherepodcast.com to listen to more episodes, read episode notes, and check out some photos. There's some great ones of Allie and Scott logging. Man, they are efficient. Thanks to Galen Huckins and Blue Dot Sessions for the music, to the lovely Ian Giori for episode artwork, and to Scott Swafford and my University of Missouri Master's Committee for guidance and support. For Out Here, I'm Erin McKinstry.